Hello, hello. Welcome to episode two of the Metamorphosis Track Project podcast. I'm your host, Jack Edwards, and today I am very thankful and very grateful to be joined by Rowan Browning. So Rowan is a 22-year-old sprinter out of, out of Sydney, Australia. He's currently sitting equal number three with Josh, the boss, Ross, and sitting behind Matt Shervington and Patrick Johnson in the all-time rankings for 100-meter sprinters. And so his current PB is 10.08. He's run a windy 10.06, which was done earlier this year. He is coached by Australian track and field legend, Andrew Murphy, who still holds the Australian triple jump uh, national record and has represented Australia multiple occasions at the Olympics, Commonwealth Games and World Champs. Ron and I, you know, he's one of my best friends. And so we continually have conversations about all things training, life, love, thoughts, coffees, you name it. And so for this conversation, it was actually quite scripted. I, it was a little less organic than a lot of what we do talk about, but we really uh, touch on some important questions uh, the listeners might be able to learn from. And so some of the questions which we talked about were just to ask about his 2019 nationals and then how he was able to prepare for a world championships in Doha. After that, he sort of looks at his preparations for this season before he opened up with a 10.06 in February. After that, we ask about what technical and physical qualities he was looking to improve on uh, going into Tokyo Olympics. We have a little chat about mental training, and the effect that something like mindfulness could have on performance. We ask a pretty important question about how he plans on closing the gap between where he currently is and those that are in Olympic semis and Olympic finals. We ask and chat about which track session he feels lets him know that he's ready to drop a bomb in competition. And finally, I ask him who his favorite scalp has been and who's currently on the top of his scalp list. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope he comes back on. We maybe have some more organic chats about who knows what. If you do enjoy listening, let me know or let Rowan know. Share and rate on iTunes. Without any more rambling, here's Rowan Browning. All right, so I've got the recording going. Rowan, thanks for coming on and having a chat. Um, we do this all the time, but it just feels, it feels weird to formalize it. But uh, I thought there could be something for the world to learn from our conversations. And so the first question that I had for you was what led to the improvement from last season to this season now that you've run 10.06, uh, 10.08, Windy as well, and a couple of really fast times. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I'm very proud to be the inaugural uh, Metamorphosis Track Project, uh, whatever it might be called, uh, guest. So thanks for having me on. It's good to, it's good to formalise these chats, I think. Well, 2019 to 2020, I think the biggest thing for me was, was consistency and, and staying injury-free. I opened my season uh, last year in 2019 around early on, Early, late in the Australian season, but early in the year, in, in like March, I ran uh, 10.08, which was my opening run for the year. And that had been off the back of maybe like a good six to eight week training block, but not much because I'd had a bit of like a like an Achilles problem, which had caused me a lot of grief. And after that, I, that was almost almost my only comp for the year. So like it was a world championship qualifier and I took a lot of confidence away from that. I ran the national championships a couple of weeks later and pulled up not so great. Didn't run my best. Uh, I definitely think that that was a race that I should have run a lot better in. 
But I think that one of the lessons I learned there was that, you know, coming off a really short training block, even though it was good, it didn't take me long to get up to good speed work, but it takes a long time to layer enough speed work to be able to compete consistently at a high level. So like I ran 10.08 and then I backed up with this really good 150 session and then I went to nationals and pulled up not so great. Uh, and from there, I was just battling with injury all the way through. So I didn't compete again from after March through till uh, well, I think it's, sorry, I think Nationals was in early April. So after April, I didn't compete again until uh, the Zagreb World Challenge, which was August. Yeah, I think like August. Like it was way later. So, I mean, I, and, bef- and I was barely in spikes before I got to run that. And that was a terrible run. I was like fresh off the plane from Australia to, to Croatia and ran like 10-4 something. After that, I went back to our training base, which was in Italy, and then went and ran a race in, where was it, in Austria. I got gastro. And that was literally like maybe two weeks before Worlds. So I got gastro, lost a few kilos, and things started to unravel for me. And, and I just didn't have enough in the tank to back it up. So I went to Worlds, ran almost dead last in my heat, uh, hated every minute of it, but learned a lot of valuable lessons. And after that season, you know, it had been a season of a lot of highs and lows. I'd, I'd run a World Champs qualifier and a PB in my first run of the season, and then I'd barely competed. And then when I went to Worlds, I, I seriously underperformed for a host of reasons. <clears throat> I hadn't been able to get in the work that I needed, but I also didn't perform with what I did have in the bank. So I learned from that, I sat down with my coach, Andrew Murphy, and he just said to me, you know, you ran 1008 this year, but you did it once. And if you look at all your other races across the year, you know, you've averaged like I think it was 1024 this year. So, you know, you're, you're not a 1008 guy, you're a 1024 guy. And even though we didn't have a lot of data points to use, you know, that was still the case. And he just said, you know, if you want to go to the Olympics in 2020 or, you know, now 2021, then and you want to be competitive, then you've got to make yourself a better athlete on, an average, on your average day. So, you know, whatever you average, you need to go, no, you can get into an Olympic heat, Olympic semifinal and run your average performance. And that needs to be good enough to make the final. And if you're at that stage, then you'll probably be competitive in the final. So the biggest thing that I wanted this year was to increase my, my average performance. And I did that. I ran, I mean, again, this season was cut short because of mm. uh, this, you know, coronavirus. But from the races, if I take all my races that I have run this year, I think my average is like 10.14. So it's a 0.1 improvement on last year. And I don't know if that's really true. I don't think that's really truly reflective of the shape that I was in last year or what I would have done. But, I mean, all you can work with is, is what you did do, you know, not what you would have done if you, if you hadn't been injured. So if you're looking to improve consistency, was that reflected in the way you trained in the lead-up to this season compared to last? Like, was there anything different well, or did you just sort of hammer the basics and what you were doing in the lead-up in those six to eight weeks prior to the 10.08 in 2019? Was that sort of work replicated once more before, you know, dropping that 10.06 in Perth? We didn't change a lot of things, but we changed a few really crucial things. And I think I really benefited from just being another year older with another year of work banked. I'm a big believer in that. You know, you bank the work that you have done. And even though it's really quick, it's really easy to detrain, the more work you can get in over a long period of time, then, you know, the more you'll benefit from that. So... I was another year older, stronger, a bit more developed, you know. And I think that where I was coming from, you know, like leading into the 2019 season, I was coming off not a lot 
at all, really, like not a lot of volume, not a lot of speed, just just like cross training, like just useless stuff that was keeping me busy but wasn't actually making me better or making me faster. It was, you know, not even really making me more robust. So, you know, off, off months and months and months of not much work or not much specific work, you know, I got six weeks together of building to speed and then maybe like three or four weeks of good speed and then I ran 10.08 and then I tried to back up nationals but I just wasn't robust enough to run rounds at that point and then, you know, just like twinged my hammy tendon and then that just did not get better for months. And when I contrast that to after Doha, I was, I was I got gastro leading into Doha. I hadn't done that much work, but at least I'd done a bit of speed. So like I had that background in speed and I was building off that. So we never really deviated from that. You know, Doha was so late in the year. I never went into like a general prep or even, you know, I just went into like a specific prep phase and we just decided to never deviate that far from speed. So, you know, I got in a, maybe like a, I mean, even after Doha, my prep wasn't perfect. Like I, I got, I was sick. Um, I had the Epstein-Barr virus, which is like glandular fever, basically. But, you know, I was really lucky. I avoided all the chronic sort of fatigue symptoms and that sort of thing. So I actually didn't get get it that bad. But I was sick enough with like really bad tonsillitis as well. And I missed uh, at least one or two weeks of training towards the end of last year. I just think that I benefited from having not deviated too far from speed. It didn't take me long to get back there. I don't know if that's just the sort of athlete that I am or the way that we train, but that's, it's, I mean, it's definitely the way that we train, you know, that idea that you should never be more than six weeks away from a PB. I remember Murph saying that to me years ago and like, it was just the best thing to ever hear. Like sprinters need to be sprinters all the time. Yeah. 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 And like, you can still, you know, like you can still do work. Like I've run, I ran one 400 a few years ago. At Sydney, and I ran. And you ran, a, you ran Sydney, yeah. and I ran a yeah. I ran a three. I ran a three hundred and fifty meter race, you know. But like I ran like forty seven one, which is not something amazing, but it's all right, you know. Mm. I think I could run a much better four hundred. I mean, I was I was way overweight then. I was way overweight, and all I did was just gas it for as as hard as I could for as long as I could, and then I had the bear on my back at the three fifty, and I was struggling. And I think anybody who saw that race. Thought it was Enjoyed hilarious, it. but yeah. <laughs> you know, I think the, the one of the things I learned that year was that you know you got to get through work, you got to be fit, and the best sprinters, are, you know, they're not just like just sixty guys or just two hundred guys. They can run a good sixty, they can run a good hundred, they can run a good two hundred. You know, maybe they can stretch that out to four hundred, but mm. it starts to drop off. Like the benefit starts to drop off at that point. Going forward, have you and Murph sat down and you know pondered what sort of what? technical or physical qualities are you looking to improve on i think you can always work on your like dorsiflexion like that's so major especially uh with murph who comes from a jumps background you know just ripping that dorsiflexion because and like tibant so important but so niche yeah but i mean yeah so like dorsiflexion stuff like technically like i need to get it like away from running I need to technically improve my cleans, my power cleans a lot because I'm, I'm a really terrible uh, Olympic lifter. I just have really bad range, mobility, and I'm trying to work on that. But I, I think also over the years, I've just like motor pattern, uh, like bad patterning where I just try and muscle lifts. And, and consequently, like I have all these really like weird sort of wigged out stats, like I can hang clean more than I can clean from the ground. 
which is just stupid. Like, it doesn't make sense. I think it probably just reflects your your physical qualities pretty well. And, like, you've got, like, super stiff ankles and hard pulling from the ground and stuff. So it might might be there. So for you, you're looking from a physical standpoint, generally becoming a better athlete, like more mobile, maybe through your thoracic so you can clean a little bit better. Looking at your feet for dorsiflexion. I, uh, when it comes to your 100, I, is there anything from a technical standpoint or even a strategic standpoint which you're looking to develop on in your racing? There's a few things I want to play around with and I've worked on with my, my biomechanist um, out of N-Swiss as well. You know, like filling around with my block setup to be a bit more efficient. Uh, and another one is just patience through the acceleration so that I don't sort of cannibalize the last 40 meters of the race, right? By, because I'm like up so early in the race, I've hit top speed and then I'm trying to hold that for 60 meters, which is just too, too difficult. So trying to figure out like the optimal effort, I guess, throughout the race, what that looks like. Bearing yeah. in mind that it's, it is a, like a maximal exertion the whole way. Yeah. I heard uh, a couple of days ago that like there are just different postures appropriate for different times of the race. Yeah, I mean, it's just like that classic, you know, you want to be like an airplane taking off and then you just want to be as tall as possible and and getting back under your hip. Yeah, 100%. And then uh, a few months ago, uh, sort of out of the blue, you called me and was just started asking me about mental training, about mindfulness. And I was wondering if you've had uh, any development or experience or like understanding of what the effect of like mental state has on performance or what sort of things you've played around and whether you think it's been effective or how you could see it being a part of your training and performance going forward. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the mental side is, is, is huge. I think that's in a competitive environment. That's one of the things that, that distinguishes, uh, you know, the guys who really succeed from the guys who, who don't, especially in that really cutthroat championship environment where, or, you know, the environment where it's all in the line. And if you leave a little, like a little too early, then you false start and you're walking home, you leave a little too late and, you know, you just run yourself out of the race. Right. So it's like, it's, it's a really like tough event. The hundred meters, it's a really tough event mentally. It's hard to get to the track and be there for hours preparing and warming up for 10 seconds worth of effort. In some ways, I actually think that it's, it's tougher to run a, a one-off race than it is to run. Like mentally, it's tougher to run a one-off race than it is to run a championship because at least at a championship, you have the luxury of sort of easing into the heats and the semi and the final, so particularly at a national level. You kind of have the opportunity to just feel it out, whereas at a Grand Prix meet, you don't. It's just all on the line for that you know, that one, one race. And for the big bucks. And for the big bucks, especially in Australia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cash again. You want to know like what, like specifically, like what sort of tools and things. Yeah, what, what have you been uh, playing around with? I've been reading a lot of books on psychology. I found that really interesting. And just like mind frame, mental state, you know, mindfulness, like how you, that sort of self-awareness that you have and your ability to manipulate your own mood and emotions and feelings. I heard a really interesting podcast with Justin Gatlin once where he talked about how the first time he ever ran sub 10, he really linked his performance to emotion. He deliberately got himself really, like, really angry or, like, really fired up and, and emotional before the race and went out and ran his first ever sub 10. And I think that everybody's different. I think people need to figure out what works for them, right? Like, some people, that's going to work. And for other people, that's just going to destabilize them too much. 
and create a lot of uncertainty and, and, and fluctuation in their race. Mm. But <clears throat> I think the way mindfulness can be really helpful is at training, knowing sort of when to apply yourself, how you're feeling. That self-awareness is so important for an athlete. Like, how's your body feeling? What are you doing? And then in a competition, to be able to be so solely focused on yourself that, that you really run your own race. Because, you know, there are guys out there who will never, ever lead from the front and their whole race plan is just to run run guys down. That's not necessarily how I run my race, but I got a lot of admiration for that because I think that must be really difficult to be a guy who knows, like to have that patience and that and that self-confidence to know like these guys might get out ahead of me, but I'm going to reel them in. And I think that's a, that's a skill in itself that requires practicing. And a lot of balls. <laughs> a lot of balls. I don't think I could do that either. Um, <laughs> I've, I've got a couple more questions. Yeah. Now, now that you're in that like 10-0 sort of bracket, what do you think is going to close the gap between yourself and the guys making Olympic semis and finals? Workload. Like mm. I've had a bit of a, a long injury history over the years. And like what we were saying before we came on recording was – uh, I think one of the things that I, one of the things I've been proudest of, or like the happiest about in my progression over the years, even though it hasn't been as rapid as I would have liked, but I've 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 PB'd basically every year since 2016. But every year since since 2016, almost I've had an injury that severely impeded my preparation. So, like I just know that if I can stay injury free, train consistently and turn that six-week block or that 10-week block, you know, like a 20-week block, you know, or 50 weeks of consecutive training and competition without injury, then, like, that's when you start to see these major breakthroughs. So I know that from where I am now is a, you know, and I'll call myself a 10-14 guy because that was my season average this year across all my races. You know, like, I think I need to make that average nearly, like, 1% better because that would take me down to about, 10.04. So if I'm like a 10.04 guy as an average, that would just about make a final. Like that would have made the final in Doha easily. And I think that would have just about made a final in a lot of championship races over the years. You know, and if that's your average 10.04, then ideally you can, you, can, you can lift a little bit at that major. You can be confident that you'll get there and then you can be confident that you, can, you have it in you to, to lift in the final. Yeah, and then you can play around with positive standard deviations. You know, you could maybe go... Point one quicker or something like that on a good day for Probably. sure yeah and it's also can it's also it's also like conditional on conditions and things but you yeah. know so like if i can improve one percent on my average then i am like a really world-class 100 meter guy if i can improve two percent on my average then you start to get in a pretty like rarefied air but you know the hardest thing in this sport is how to improve by a cent a percent you know where do you find one percent like when people talk about one percenters, that's not really true. It's more like the little things that you do aren't one percenters. They're like the 0.01 percenters. You know what I mean? And yes. they add up to one yeah, percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's pretty awesome to feeling to have, I guess, is that you're like one percent away from being world class. I think to get, yeah, but I think like to make up that one percent, like you just have to become a head case. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> you know, you just have to obsess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure, like you just have to obsess over those those little things and, and get through the workload, which which takes time. Like I, you know, like traditionally I've worked in this like 10-day program where it'll take me 10 days to get through three track sessions, which is pretty, like that's not great. You know, a lot of guys out there, some of the guys who are best in the world are running 
on the track like four times a week, let alone three every 10 days. So, you know, how, how can I get to that level? Well, I'm just haven't been that exposed to a lot of load over years because we've tried to be like, I guess in Australia, we just don't have the luxury of being able to like flog athletes and see who survives like some other countries can. So, you know, like Murph's taken a, a much slower, more conservative approach with me where he's tried to like nurture me to make sure that I don't break down. And, you know, there have been times where we've, we've walked that fine line and then we've just crossed it and we've made mistakes, but we've learned from them and I've improved every year. So, you know, I'm pretty happy with how things are going. Yeah. Awesome. I've got two more, two more questions. First one is, is there a single track session which lets you know that you can drop a bomb in competition? Yeah, well, like our classic sort of speed session would be like 60 meter sprints, you know, so however that might be, it depends on the day, it depends on how fast I'm running. You know, because as soon as that quality drops off, we just we we walk away from the session because you stop trying, you stop achieving what you're setting out to achieve. So, 60 meter sprints. I know that if I can hit a certain hand time, which is consistent by Murph, then I know that we're good shape. Consistent by Murph is pretty important. Uh, <laughs> Asterisk. Yeah, like, like it's full, it's so far off, right? Like yeah, yeah. You know, like sub like sub six seconds. <laughs> but but it's consistent. the point is, yeah, it's consistent. So you know, I don't, it doesn't matter what the time is. It just matters what it is relative to what it has been in the past. Exactly. And my final question for you, what's your favorite scout been so far and who's currently on top of your scout list? (laughs) Oh, I should have given this more thought. Okay. I I think my favorite scout would have to be, do you have an answer for this on my behalf as well? I've got a, I've got a name. I've got a name in my head for your favorite scout. Who's currently yeah. on top of your scalp list? I have no idea. I could make a prediction for both. Yeah, make a prediction. I think Harry AA is as a favorite scalp just because he's a, a personality and has <laughs> a weapon. Massive, massive pecs. And uh, yeah, on top of your scalp list, yeah. I would have thought Redemption for Eddie DeKeisha would have been nice, but uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're actually both pretty good. Um, pretty good guesses. I, I, I actually would say my favorite scout is Jack Hale because I've held it since 2015. I like having that one on the mantle. <laughs> yeah, up on the uh, <laughs> yeah, up on the headpiece to say, yeah. And who's on top of your Yeah, scout that's list? right. So whenever every time people walk into the house, they they see it there framed. Uh, and in terms of top of the scalp list, I don't know, like I don't really like, I guess I'd never go into a race thinking, you know, like, I'm, I want to beat one guy here. Like, you know, you just run the race to win. So everybody in the world is top of my scout list. Cop-out answer. I won't accept it going forward, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with that for the being, time being. But, uh, All right, well, then I'll just say what you said then. Yeah, okay. Well, thanks a lot for the chat. And everyone, get around Rowan going forward for Tokyo whenever that happens. Thanks a lot. Thanks, mate.